in the Gospel of John's first chapter. I'm starting at verse 19, reading out of the New King James. Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? (laughs) I love that line. Uh, He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Well, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, or Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word today and the fact that John the Baptist gave us such a powerful, powerful testimony. And I ask that it would resonate within us. That we would be resolved to do exactly what John did. And Heavenly Father, to understand why He did what He did. Because it transforms the world when people live like John did. So I'm asking that we would, indeed, learn from Him. Learn from this text and find peace in our lives because of the things we've done as John did. I pray this, Heavenly Father, You'd be glorified. And I pray it in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. That the words in my mouth, the meditations in our hearts and the thoughts in our minds would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord God. You are our strength, our rock, and my redeemer. And I ask right now that you would sanctify this place where I am and each place where people are either watching, listening, no matter where it might be, that it would be holy ground and your word would come forth and transformation would occur. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. I really like that I um, when it says when they asked John what do you say about yourself uh, I I said I really like that that I really like that isn't in the in the scriptures if you're following along that was just my interjection there but I really do like that because it's what focused this message that verse uh, part of that verse a- anyway let me tell you what's going on here and uh, why I call this message redirect now I have a uh, for you a um, definition and I want to read it to you because the definition of redirect really helps out of uh, I believe it's Webster's it says to change the course or the direction of in the law it's an examination of a witness that follows a cross examination or a redirect examination in the other dictionary it says to cause to move in a different direction or to go to a different destination or to give directions for an alternate destination to somebody, or to change the object or focus of attention. That's as a verb. In the noun form, in the law, it's a redirect examination, as I just read. In sports, it's a deflection by one player of a shot or a pass by a teammate, as in hockey and in computers. It's a website that serves only to guide users to another website. Typically, when a website at one URL has not or has been moved to a different one. And uh, the reason I like that definition is because turning180.com actually points folks to uh, my podcast, which is hosted at Buzzsprout. And so that's a redirect site. It moves things from what you're pointing at to something else. But the the definition that I want to give you um, a clear redirect on is the third one that I read to you 
to change the object or focus of attention. That's important. And we're going to come back to that here in a bit, to that redirect. But I want to, first of all, tell you a little bit of the background on today's text. Now, the overview is that the temple folks were sent to John the Baptist to check to see if he was the Messiah. And the reason why is because John was getting disciples and baptizing people out in the wilderness, and any time there was even a hint no matter how small, that there might be a person who is the Messiah, they were inquired by the temple to go and investigate that because that's what they're waiting for, the Messiah, and they don't want to miss Him. So they want to be inquiring to see if this is the person that they're waiting for, the Messiah who is to come. This was a cultural idiosyncrasy for those, and still is, for the Jewish community. They're still looking for the Messiah for those who are still Jewish and not Christian Jews still looking for the Messiah. They're still waiting for Him. It's not something that they go, well, maybe it might be the Messiah. If it's possible, they check it out. And in every generation, this understanding, awareness, even on Passover, they're always waiting for the Messiah who is to come. So anything that comes remotely to it, they need to check it out. And every time they do, they, they need to either prove it or discredit it. And in their minds, for the Jewish community, it's been discredited ever since. But they sent, as it says in here, in verse uh, 19, that the Jews, and it doesn't mean uh, like the Jews as in Jewish people, but the Judeans. And in this particular text, Judean or a Jew is someone who's from a region. And in that time, Judea was the area around Jerusalem. That was the area of Judea. There were other parts of uh, Israel there, but the Judean area was around Jerusalem. And so when people were sent, they understood these folks came from the Jerusalem area. But they were Levites. And Levites are, and priests are those who administer to the temple. So these folks would be a part of the ritual at the time when people would come to have their animal sacrifice or blow the shofar or whatever, these folks were the ones who were very familiar with those processes and, and what, how, how that was to be done. So they're very familiar. And so these folks were sent. They also knew the law and what the Messiah was all about. And they were sent from the temple area to John the Baptist with this instruction. Investigate and see if this is the Messiah. And if he is not the Messiah, find out who he is. And if you can't get that, at least find out why he has disciples and is baptizing people. Why is he doing that? They need to know these answers, right? And it's not a sense of paranoia, but a sense of, um, we got to know. And, and it borders, well, if you'll see in Scripture, if you ever look at how they treat Jesus, it borders on paranoia, their, in, their uncertainties. And so, so they wanted to find that out. Now, once they started looking for the Messiah, and if even if they saw the Messiah, I personally believe they wouldn't know who He was. And, and we confirm that in a minute. Now, here's why... Um, it's important to understand that they're looking for a Messiah, but they don't really know what Messiah they're looking for. They, they have an idea and a way to prove it's not the Messiah, but they don't know how to prove He is. Catch this. We, don't know, we know how to prove it's not Him, but we don't know how to prove it is Him. And that's what their struggle was. And you're going to see this later in the text. It's great. I, I, I'm... I'm amazed I've never read this until this week in this passage. And I think you'll be amazed with me. So, maybe maybe you're like they were, and you're looking for something, and it's right in front of your face, but you can't find it. I've had that experience in the last week several times. During COVID, we've been doing a lot of jigsaw puzzles, a lot of people have. And, and we're always looking for a certain piece, we can't find it. And we'll look an hour, and, and finally we'll go... Oh, there it was right here in front of my face. I was looking everywhere, but right in front of me. And, and it was funny because I said, well, I didn't even see that. And it was there. 
And it's because everything else looks like it or similar to it. And so we discredit the one that is because it, the other ones aren't it either. And that's how we lose things. It's almost like uh, we're looking for something and we trip over it still looking for it. I remember a couple times in life where I'd be looking for my phone and I'd be walking around going, I can't find my phone. I, I, hang on. And I'm talking to someone with a phone in my hand going, I've lost my phone. I don't know where it is. And, and a person's laughing. I'm going, quit laughing at me. I can't find my phone. And they're going, dude, it's in your hand. And you know, you ever done that? I've done that a lot. I've looked for my hat that was on my head before. My glasses which were on my face. Uh, all these type of things. It's plain as day, but we miss it for some reason, like our mind hasn't made the connection. And this is what's happening with these folks. They come to see John the Baptist to see if he's the Messiah. And if he's not, what he's doing. And in the midst of it, a nice little twist happens, which I'll get to in just a sec. Um, so as I said, they're very curious. The, the Judeans, the Jewish people in the temple are very curious and so they send him to John and say, could he be the Messiah? That's the question. Could John be the Messiah? That's all they're sent to do is verify the validity of John. Have you ever done something where you had a task to do and then you were so focused on it that in the midst of that task there was something even better at hand and you didn't see it or didn't do it because it wasn't part of what you intended to do? I've been like that before. And um, maybe you've seen that in your own life. But the reason I mention that is because these folks are only doing one task in their mind and that's to verify or uh, find out that John is not the Messiah. Now here's the thing. Every possible messianic claim that was reported to the temple, no matter how small, must be investigated. It's their culture, it's their custom, it had to happen. Don't miss this. Every single claim, no matter how small, no matter who reported it, had to be investigated. Do not forget this, because there's a big screw-up by the folks that were sent to John who didn't do that. You see... And you'll, you'll see this in Scripture, that they investigated Jesus, trying to find out if He was the Messiah. Who sent you? Where are you from? All these questions. What authority are you doing these things? And they kept asking these questions, and the questions for them were Messianic questions. Same way with the questions they asked John in this text. But what they concluded about Jesus later was that He was not the Messiah who was to come. And they made the wrong conclusion. And when John does what he does, they're so blinded by what they're doing that they miss what's right in front of them. And and you'll see it as clear as I did once I finally started looking beyond my own uh, presuppositions and uh, expectations of the text and started to let it speak to me the way it says it. Here's what happens. Here's the story. They come to where John was. You can follow along in the text. And they say, Who are you? And he confessed and says, I am not the Christ. So, when they say, who are you? You must understand they are asking him, are you the Christ? Who are you? Are you the Christ? That's part of the question. And that's why John doesn't say, well, I'm John the Baptist. He says, I am not the Christ, is his confession. And so, that's not good enough of an answer for them. Because remember... He's acting like a Messiah, baptizing, getting disciples, and building a following. So that's not a good enough answer. No, I'm not the Christ. And they're thinking, well, maybe he's not telling us the truth. Or maybe we need more investigation. Let's go a little deeper. And so they said, well, what then? Are you Elijah, the one who's to come before the Messiah? And John says, I am not. (laughs) So, okay, he's not the Christ, he's not the Messiah. Okay, we're done, we can go home. No. They need to get more answers. So they keep asking another question. Because this is the investigative process. When you investigate, or if someone investigates something, it's a lot of questions. What were you doing here? What's this all about? All these questions to learn the truth about a situation. 
If you've ever been a, uh, an object of an investigation, you know there's a lot of questions, not just one or two. They just keep coming more and more and more. So they ask him again, Are you the prophet? And John says, Nope. And, and what's really frustrating to them is John doesn't offer any further information. They just ask him, Are you this? He says, No. Are you the Elijah? No. Are you, are you this? No. No, no. And uh, what we do, and, and this is John chapter 1, and we're at verse 21, now moving into 2. And they said to him this, because John still hasn't given him an information, they say, well then, who are you? Well then, who are you if you're not any of that? So that we can give an answer to those who sent us to you. What do you say about John, what do you say about yourself? And his answer, I wish I had this answer every time. He said, I'm just the voice of someone crying in the wilderness to get ready for the Lord to come into your life. I'm just a voice. I'm no prophet. I'm no saint. I'm no great thing. I'm just someone trying to get the voice out there that there's someone greater than me. That there's a Jesus. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness to get ready for Jesus in your life. That's all I am is a voice. I'm a messenger. I'm nothing more. It's not about me. It's about Him. And that's what John was getting ready to say. And that's what he says. I am a voice. Well, they're not satisfied with that answer. Because because he's doing stuff more than speaking. He has a following. A large following, as a matter of fact. And he's baptizing people. And you don't baptize people in the Jewish culture unless you have an authority that makes you do it. And this is great. So so they finally clarified in verse 24, these are men sent from the Pharisees. So we know these are the folks who understand uh, how the law is to be applied. They're the ones who uh, know the Jewish customs and traditions and all these things. And so they ask him, saying, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet? Why are you doing it? And you would think John would defend himself and say, Well, you know, God told me to. It's a good idea. And, and all these things. But here, where the folks who are asking this question are coming from, they're temple people who work with the rituals and customs of the temple, and they are ritually, every day, except for the Sabbath, washing sacrificial animals, getting them ready for baptism, or for a sacrifice, excuse me. And they know how this works. And so they understand that the washing with water is to make something clean before God. And so they're trying to figure out, well, the temple didn't tell you to do it. You're not the Christ. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. (laughs) Why are you doing this? And we get a clue. A real good clue by where he's doing it. I love what one commentator said about this. Uh, section. It's, it's verse 28. I'll skip ahead and come back. It says that the, John was doing this in Bethany or Bethabra beyond the Jordan River. Now that means on the east side of the Jordan, not on the side where Jerusalem is. Not Bethany where Elizabeth gave birth and lived where John was, but a different Bethany. And so Bethany beyond the Jordan was... Uh, on the east side. Now, what the one commentator said was, the reason he was baptizing is because he was doing it at a place, very near a place, where the Israelites became the Hebrews. Where they crossed the Jordan River, like a baptism. If you remember when they left Egypt, they came through the water, and the water wasn't available to the Egyptians to help them pass through. They were drowned, you know, Pharaoh and his army. Um, And so, they were passed through that water as if on dry ground, like a baptism. 
You're no longer a part of your past. I'm washing Egypt and its reproach off of you. And, and they wandered 40 years because they still didn't know how to live for God. Well then, after those 40 years, Joshua led them across a flooded Jordan River that separated, and the second time they crossed over. When John the Baptist was baptizing, these folks would know this history. And what one commentator said is that he was baptizing them to say, you're now entering into a new life with God, a new relationship. Your old life is gone. You're going to wash away the sin and be a part of the kingdom of God. And that's why his message, as we learned, is repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And leave your life of sin. You'll see the other Gospels where John talks about this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago where he's telling people who have done harm to stop doing it. To stop taking advantage of people and hurting people. And and to repent from that and start doing good. And when John said all that, he was talking about people who came from Jerusalem from other places who were walking in the mindset that the law was what set them free. And John's saying, no, there's something better coming. The kingdom's at hand. You've got to stop living the wrong way. The law's not going to save you. The Messiah coming is. And that was his message. And it was well received by people. Because even Herod liked John. After a while. <laughs> but not, ever, not originally. But... What I'm trying to say is John's message was consistent about the kingdom of God. And he kept directing people, repent, kingdom of God is at hand. Baptize and say, this is my transition, like the Israelites did to become Hebrews, which is uh, when Joshua came across with the tribes in Joshua, the book of Joshua. And they became Hebrews at that time. It's the same transition. And it says when they got onto the promised land after they crossed over the Jordan, that they're reproach and their desire to go back to the life in Egypt never occurred again. That they no longer complained about Egypt. They now were happy in the new promised land that God had given them. And what's really important about this, and you may have heard this before, but that's where they got the name Hebrew. When Joshua and the Israelites crossed, they became Hebrews. And if you don't know what Hebrew means, it's pretty cool. It's, a, it's The word Hebrew translates as those who cross over. So if you belong to Jesus and you've been saved and baptized, you've crossed over from the life of death to eternal life with Christ. You've entered the promised land. And this is the message John the Baptist is preaching and teaching and baptizing about is you need to be different like those who crossed over no longer want to be a part of what they used to be. We become used to bees in the old sinful life when we belong to Jesus Christ and when we belong to the kingdom of heaven. So that's what they're asking John. Why are you baptizing? And he says, I'm just here for a reason. And now, they're asking for another reason. <laughs> As I said, they can be kind of paranoid. First of all, they want to know if John was a threat to their way of life. Since he wasn't the... Christ, the prophet, or Elijah, is he a threat? And another thing behind that is, John, what's your intent? What are you going to do with all these disciples? What are you, you going to make them leave the temple? Are you trying to stop the temple life? And so now they have another investigation going on with John possibly being a problem. We find in Scripture that many, many people went to see John. Many people. Even the temple leaders went. All of them would go and see John. His message was that compelling. But John never talked about who he was. And so, when they said, why are you baptizing? John knows something they don't. The call on John, from early in his ministry, at the beginning of it, to that present moment, he was to baptize people until, and at least, until he baptized the Messiah. The call on him was to baptize the Messiah. And John knew when it was that he would come, that God would show him a sign that this was the Messiah. And John would recognize the Messiah by that sign. And so here's how he answers. 
He says, I'm baptizing with water. I'm just using water. It's not holy water. It's just water. It's symbolic, but it's, it's just water. And then he says, but... And, and this, this redirect is what he does in this sentence. And they miss it. He says, I'm baptized with water, but among you there stands somebody whom you don't know. If you're arguing something, you're, this is what you're asking, but this is the truth, they're supposed to be parallel sides. Like, no, I didn't go to the store, but I went to the bank. <laughs> but they ask John, why are you baptizing? Well, I baptize with water, but there stands somebody among you who you don't know. But he didn't answer their question. Why are you baptizing with water? And John is so focused that there's someone here that I'm going to baptize with this water and I'm doing this water baptism because he's the Messiah. And he doesn't say any of that. He just says, I'm baptizing with water and there's somebody you don't know here. And John knows exactly what he's doing. But they're so confused by what he says. They don't understand because they're trying to get up. Well, why are you doing this then? If you're not trying to do that, what's your issue here? They don't understand that John has come to baptize the Messiah. Yet they're looking for a Messiah. And he continues when he says, The one who stands among you, it is he who coming after me is preferred before me. He's higher than me whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And he's talking about a royalty. And and this image of I'm unworthy to loosen his sandal strap, in that society, it was a slave who unhooked the sandal straps from the master of the house to take the shoes off possibly even to wash their feet. And John the Baptist says, there's one coming who stands here now that you don't know who is and I can't even take his sandals off. I'm not worthy of it. Do you understand a couple of dynamics here? When they're investigating to see if it's the Messiah, if they find out it is the Messiah or if they believe it is, they don't understand what they're looking for. Because if it's truly the Messiah, they're going to bow down and worship. Here we are, we worship you. But they're not expecting this because He hasn't come. And so when the true Messiah does come, they're still going to discredit Him and not worship Him because they're so used to discrediting everybody and looking for these little things that make them think that He's not the Messiah. You see it all the time. Can a prophet come from Nazareth? Bethlehem? You know, none of, they say, search the Scriptures. He didn't come from there. Well, it did say it in the Scriptures. They just missed those, apparently. And they missed all the signs about Jesus that are in the Scripture that Jesus fulfilled when they found out His history. They missed those things for some reason. They must not have read those parts when they used those things to discredit Him, right? Or, maybe because they didn't think that the Messiah would appear like Jesus appeared. So when John says, I'm not worthy, I'm not even able to be a slave to this person, and he's standing right among you. When John the Baptist says, the Messiah is standing among you, those men who came from the temple are required required by their tradition and custom to say this next question. Which one among us that we might ask and investigate? Because he's just sent out a claim that the Messiah is there and they don't investigate. As a matter of fact, they don't even wait or ask John who it is. Because once he says that, they leave. Get this. Hundreds of years waiting for a Messiah to redeem their nation and lead them. And John says he's standing right here with you. 
and they leave. Why? Their job was to investigate everything that came along and prove that that wasn't true. And yet here it is, John telling them, and they walk away. They've been waiting hundreds of years for this. Their whole lifetime investigating everything. This is the, if you will, the crew that goes out to investigate everybody who's got a claim that they're the Messiah. Well, in their mind, they're going, well, it's not him. Let's go back. So they miss John's redirect. He says, I'm not him, but he's standing there among you and you don't know who he is. And you don't know he's the Messiah either. And nowhere do they go, well, tell us. Doesn't that make sense that they would say, tell us, show us the Messiah, who is he? And they leave. If you've been waiting hundreds of years for something, you really believed the Messiah was coming, wouldn't you stick around and ask some questions if you personally were invested? If you really wanted to know who that person was that could redeem them and save them and bring them into the kingdom of God and glory, wouldn't you think that maybe they would want to know a little more if they were personally invested in this answer? The truth is, if you're not personally invested in knowing who Jesus is, you will not wait for the answer of who is He. You will continue to walk away from the truth when it's right in front of you because the redirect keeps taking you away from Jesus instead of toward Jesus in your mind. Something right in front of you, you walk away from. Next week, we're going to see what happens the very next day. If these men from Jerusalem had waited one day, one more day, after waiting years for a Messiah, one more day, just one more day, Jesus comes to be baptized. And John proclaims who He is clearly. This is the one. This is the one. I'm not. He is. That's what He says the next day, but they're already gone. They come to investigate. This guy says, I know who he is. He's, but you don't know who he is. I know who he is. You don't. But they don't stick around and say, let's have a conversation about this. Because when you're not personally invested in who Jesus might be in your life or who he is, you walk away. You might say, well, I know who he is, but you know I don't need him. and He's not important to me. You see, the Messiah they saw it wasn't the one they expected. So they missed him. Even though John kept redirecting to him. I'm preparing the way for the Lord. Well, when's he coming? Who is he? None of those questions are asked. If you're not invested in who Jesus Christ is, you'll never ask the deeper questions. How do I find him? What difference does he make for me? How does he change me? What can I do they missed the redirect because they were on a mission from the temple rather than a mission of the heart. They missed that John knew who the Messiah is. They missed it. Because all they were doing was proving John wasn't. And he's standing there in the crowd with him. Jesus is in the crowd. He's standing right there with you. And you don't even know who He is. Well, if someone says to me, like I'm walking in a large crowd with people at a concert or something, someone says, man, man there's so-and-so here, a famous celebrity or whatever, in a crowd here, and I'm going to go, oh, whatever, and, and leave? No. I'm just, where? Are you sure? How do you know? I want to meet that person. If it's somebody I, that's, I really want to know who is, I want to know who it is and where it is. Um... For example, suppose in, in this situation that you haven't seen your, your child or a brother or a sister in a long time and, and you're going to a, a, the park and someone says, well, I just saw your brother in the park here today. You go, oh yeah, right, whatever. And leave? And you go, no, where? 
Where was he? How long ago? All these questions that you, you would go through your mind and they don't go through their mind. They just leave. And it saddens me because they miss the redirect to focus the attention on another. And they keep coming back to John. Well, what do you say about John? Oh, I'm nothing. He's the one that matters. Yeah, but well, but who are you? It doesn't matter. No, it's this guy. No, no, no. But why are you doing all this stuff? Quit asking me that. Look at the guy in the presence right now with you and talk to him. He's the one you want. No, no, no. Why are you here? <laughs> you see what I mean? He keeps redirecting and they keep coming back to the wrong thing. We do it in our own lives. God keeps trying to redirect us in different directions and we keep coming back to the wrong direction. We miss Jesus also. And it's proof in our lives sometimes that we don't know who He is. Or we've missed Him in the situations we're in. I began to think about how our lives reflect proof that we don't know who Jesus is. It's the same proofs in the lives of these men later and also in this situation to prove that they don't know who Jesus is. And there's a couple of things you can look at in your life or the life of others, and you'll see whether they know Jesus or not by these things. The first one is, if you don't know Jesus, there's a lack of love and forgiveness. Truly. And then there's a lack of grace and godliness in our lives if you don't know who Jesus is. There's a lack of a redirect as well. And this is important. You see, we direct people to our own agendas and our ambitions. And you'll see people post on social media, you know, you ought to do this and this and this is what I'm mad about and this and all this. And they never get around to Jesus. It's all about how they feel, what they think, what matters to them. But nothing about Jesus Christ. They keep redirecting back to themselves instead of to the one they want to direct toward. I've not seen a whole lot of people say, you know, I'm really mad about the way people are treating people. If they would just turn to Jesus and start loving one another. But rather people just say, I'm mad, I'm going to protest, I'm going to do all these things. But, and I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying is, why don't we redirect people to love? which Christ is, and grace, and mercy, and forgiveness. You can see when people don't know Jesus that they slander. They tell lies. They have bigotry, and jealousy, and racists. And they steal, they murder, they have idolatry, and they are deceitful in their nature. And it's all proof that they don't know who Jesus is, because if they knew who Jesus was, and lived like Jesus is who He said He is, inside of them, Jesus won't do that stuff. <laughs> you miss that. We'll do what Jesus would do. And if we're not doing what Jesus would do, we're doing what we would do. And so instead of redirecting our lives toward Jesus, we're redirecting people toward our own intent. It's as clear in this text to me as anything else. When John was asked, what do you say about yourself? He's saying, I don't matter. I'm a voice. I'm not Him. Don't look at me. Look at this one that's standing among you. Jesus Christ is here. He's present with you. Look at Him. Yeah, but why are you bad? No. Stop talking about me. Start talking about Jesus. Stop talking about the things and start talking about the Creator, the Master, the Lord. Bring Him into every conversation. Somewhere in your mind, if you belong to Jesus, you want to redirect to Jesus. Because it's not about you. It's about Him. It's not about my life, it's about His life and hopefully reflected in me and in the world around me. And in you. And in the world around you. Because He's alive in you, therefore you are living His life on this planet. And maybe maybe that doesn't make a whole lot of connect with you. So when I ask you what you believe or what you stand for, a lot of people are going to go, well, I'm, um, I'm this, or I'm that, or, or this is what matters to me. And, and we talk about our own self. But I'm going to ask you to do something a little different now. I, and it may be uncomfortable, and that's okay. It's always uncomfortable doing new things. But I'm going to ask you 
to simply say this. Well, I, I'm identified by this. You know, I'm a, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm a whatever, socialist or whatever. But, I adhere to the principles of Jesus Christ. And my party that I belong to, I'm affiliated with, or what I'm affiliated with, doesn't 100% go along with Jesus. So, I adhere to what Jesus says, regardless of what my party says. I honor Him in my life. And I'm not going to be stuck by a bounded set of rules of man. I'm going to go by what the Scriptures say. What Jesus says. And redirect. And redirect. And keep redirecting. And the only way you can do that, as we've seen in this text, is if you allow yourself to be redirected first. In every part of your life. Well, my life's falling apart, but my life isn't my life. My life is Jesus Christ. Everything's a mess, but Jesus is the mess creator and fixer and establisher into a message. I feel like a victim, but he's going to make me a victory because he is victorious. And I give him all the praise for what he's going to do. And if he doesn't, I still love him. Always redirecting your life and your thoughts back to him. But we don't do that. And when we don't do that as an individual Christian or as a church, it makes us look like we're not that. And so, we come back to the place where the Pharisees and those who believe they're in authority over us, and they say, well, what do you say about yourself? We're so tempted to say, well, I'm a son of my father. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a bus driver, I'm a chef, I'm a whatever. And, and talk about our identity. But truly, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know that, and I don't say that, you'll never know unless I show you that. And if I don't show you that, it's because my life isn't about redirecting people to Him. And myself to Him. I'm still just trying to live life and survive. John was not the Messiah. But Jesus is the Redeemer and the One. And that's why when Jesus gathered with the disciples in the upper room, He did something really awesome. I know you've heard the communion ritual before. But maybe not quite like this. I'm going to kind of take this message and, and, and break it into the bread and, and the cup for you. Jesus gathers with the disciples in the upper room and, and He tells them that He's going to leave, depart, right? And, and these guys are believing He's the Messiah. And He says to them, I'm going to be crucified. And in three days I'll rise again. They don't understand that. And so he institutes Holy Communion. And this is how he did it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. And he takes a loaf of bread, breaks it, gives thanks to God, and says, take and eat as often as you will, and remember me. Every single meal that they ever ate had bread. Unleavened or leavened, they had bread. And... The bread has a meaning that you may not understand because our culture is different. We use knives, forks, and spoons, right, to eat with. But their law is anything that touches your saliva is ritually unclean. You can't use it. So if you took a fork, took a bite of food, put it in your mouth, you now have your saliva on the fork, you'd have to grab a new fork for each bite. But their bread was flat. And it was the last thing to the table. And the person who brought the bread to the table was the host of the table. So Jesus, when He was going to bring the bread to the disciples, would go get it from where it was cooked as hot bread and bring it to the table, flat flat pieces of bread. Round-ish. I don't think they had a little perfect circle, but roundish and thin. And then he would bless the bread and then pass the bread to the people eating. Now, the bread was last because it meant that this 
was the signifier of a meal starting. The reason why is they would tear off a little piece of the bread and dip it in their food and eat the bread and the stuff that was on the bread. Because the bread is flat. You could curl it, pick things up, meat, whatever. And they ate the bread. The bread, get this, was the utensil. So they didn't have to pull the bread back out of their mouth and dip the next. They tore off another piece of bread and dipped it, and they ate the bread. So every time that they broke off a piece of bread to eat, they would remember that Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. You can't have anything to eat without me. You can't have anything without this. He's redirecting the bread of every meal, of every utensil that they would stick into their mouth as Himself. That every time you broke off the next piece of bread to eat your next bite of food, remember me. Every bite of food. Not just every time you had communion, but every bite of food, remember me. That's what He said. That was the redirect He did. And then He gave it to them and said, as often as you do this, what? Eat the bread? No. Break it. And it was every meal you broke it. As often as you break off this bread, remember me. There's no longer bread, it's me. It's a redirect. It's pretty cool, huh? But it's better. Because every meal they had something to drink, generally wine. I have grape juice. Grape juice is from the grape, just as the wine was. And this is what he took, a cup of wine, something like this. And he, and he raised it up to the Father and blessed and gave thanks. So this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. It's the blood of a new covenant I establish where you do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. We as a church and as believers have begun to think, well, every time I do communion, I'll remember Jesus. It's not what he said. He said every time you take a drink of anything, every sip, remember the covenant I've established with you so you don't forget what I've done for you. Every drink of whatever it is you drink, give thanks to the Father. Remember me. I'm redirecting every bite of food you take and every drink you drink to me. And then we have the audacity as a church to think it's just about communion once a month or whenever we do it. And it's not. He never said that. He never said this is a communion service for church. He said... As often as you do what? This. Not lift up a glass of wine, but drink it. So he said, drink all of you from it. And as often as you drink, remember me. I'll tell you what, I take lots of sips of water throughout the day and I promise you I haven't thought of Jesus. But that's because I haven't allowed the redirect. Because it's about my thirst. Not about my relationship. And so I... Don't put him where you told me to put him. Do you understand why communion then is such a powerful thing? Because it changes everything about the way you live. Your relationship with Jesus or it changes nothing. And that's what John the Baptist was telling these guys. You don't even know who the Messiah is and he's standing right there. You don't understand that every breath you take, every bite you eat, every drink you drink, he's right there in it. And you miss that because it's redirected. In your mind, it's going to be reject, redirected to Jesus or toward yourself and your own needs. And that's the truth. And that's how it works. And I promise you in this moment right now that God's going to share this truth with you in the next bite in a few days, you're going to forget it. You're not going to remember it. When it's so thirsty, it's so hot out here, and you drink that water, oh, I just need this so bad, and you're going to go, man, it felt so good. But it's not going to be about Jesus again. It's going to be about quenching a thirst. It's internal. It'll be back. Because we haven't been redirected. And so I want to pray today that we are each one redirected. As John did all the time. With everything we do. With every bite of food. Every drink we drink. That we remember who Jesus is. Because He's either everything to you or He's nothing to you. There is no in between. He's either Messiah or He's nothing. There is no middle ground there. And you can't walk this both directions. It's either your life directed to Him or it's directed toward self. I'd like to say it's a simpler 
uh, a more gray matter, but it's not. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank You that You have established a redirect through John the Baptist and You redirected through Your Son, Jesus Christ, with just a simple fact of eating and drinking. That we can't eat. We aren't supposed to eat a thing without considering You or drink a thing without considering who You are and remembering You. Heavenly Father, it's not remembering just who You were, but who You are to us, inside of us, challenging, transforming, making us new creations. And Heavenly Father, sometimes we even forget to pray when we eat. And yet, every bite of food is supposed to remind us of who You are. Heavenly Father, I'm going to ask right now that You help us to receive these elements, whatever form they take today, that they would be for us the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And we would understand that everything else we partake is also celebrating who He is to us. Heavenly Father, reestablish, reinvest, redirect. Do what You need to in us, but help us, Heavenly Father. Help us to come before You and confess that we haven't lived that way because we didn't know we were supposed to or because no one ever told us or because we just missed it. Well, Heavenly Father, let us not miss the One right here with us right now. Let us not leave the presence of the one who says he's right here, one you don't know. That our lives and our country and our world would reflect who he is. That we would learn how to do it ourselves. And in this time of communion, I ask you to bless the bread and the drink, whatever form we are taking that in today. That it would be for us the body and blood of Christ. And henceforth, everything we eat and drink would be as well. To make it not a simple moment of holiness every now and then, but a life that way. We would live it unto you for your glory. Heavenly Father, receive our repentance, our confession, our brokenness, our misunderstanding of who you really are, and help us to be one with you. I pray now that this message might help, that the enemy won't steal it away, that will keep the reminders and continue to grow forward in Him. I pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father. Anoint your message. Amen. And I'm about to close um, with just a, an announcement and a reminder about tonight. But I'm going to encourage you when, when the camera shuts off that you take your communion, however it is, or the audio in just a moment, and uh, you take your communion however it is, and then every bite and every drink after that, you remember Him. Let every bite of food redirect you back to Him, and every sip, every drop, back to Him. Redirect, redirect, redirect. That's all I can say. That's what God keeps telling me. Redirect. And I hope this has helped you do that. Alright, tonight, 6.30, we're going to be in Second Peter chapter 3. Stump the pastor, get yourself something to drink. Uh, we're going to have some intimate time together there. And uh, we'll be back here in the same place. And next Sunday, we'll have a drive-in at the church. Um, actually, you can be in your car, or you can be on a bench or bring a lawn chair. We'll be doing that. And then Father's Day, as far as the bishop says, we'll be back face-to-face in the church. So those are the announcements I have for you. Thank you for being a part of today. We're going to uh, shut down the cameras and take communion here. I pray you do the same.